Hello and welcome to Money Life. This is Sucheta Dilan. This week, we are going to talk about the Supreme Court's suggestion that it's going to set up a committee led by a retired judge to study the crash in Adani Group shares. Now, we know that that happened a week ago. The government agreed, accepted it, and tried to give the Supreme Court a list of names in a sealed envelope. Last heard, the Supreme Court said, no, we don't want any sealed covers, which is a great thing, and we will choose our own committee. The question is, do we need a committee? And maybe the Supreme Court also would like to look at the past and how we have handled scandals. This has always been a committee or commission of sorts. And what has happened? Because what has happened in the past gives you a clue to what has happened in the future. As a journalist, I've been looking at it for 35 years, covering the markets, and also when I researched a book. Now, let's talk about what happens there. The Supreme Court felt the need for such a committee itself is such a serious indictment of what the regulator has been doing or not doing. Not just the regulator, also the finance ministry. But the bigger question, like I said, is, is this a sound idea? So let's start with the second half of what the Supreme Court wants. There's been one instance of in the past of a committee led by a retired Supreme Court judge. It didn't lead to any improvement in market regulation. In fact, this was a big committee. Composition itself was questionable. And the purpose, most of the uh, recommendations were not accepted. This former judge of the Supreme Court was a director in India's near monopoly exchange whose governance during his tenure there has been pretty questionable. Apart from the co-location scam, which I broke in 2015 and has made so much of news and repercussions. The board of directors at that time had rubber stamped all kinds of decisions of the managing director. So the co-location scam happened under their nose. They had no idea. The MD was bypassing all established processes on senior appointments, promotions, got in someone, made him within a year a group operating officer. They didn't know. And she, of course, has gone on record to say that she was guided in all this by a Himalayan yogi. Obviously, the yogi was not attending board meetings and the board was clueless that it was not the MD to whom they had delegated powers, but a yogi who was running the exchange. The role of directors and why they continued to support this MD and why were they clueless, especially since it was such a marquee board of very high profile people has never been probed typical of india it is a mystery because nobody has even dared to ask them so supreme court saying it wants a committee headed by a retired judge we have our doubts now if the supreme court wants the committee to be different and more effective maybe it needs to look like i said at what has happened not just 35 years that I've been in journalism, but 50 years. And as is very popular these days, let's go back even to Nehru's time to figure out what has happened. Like I said, I've been researching this. So we go to what? The Haridas Mundra case of 1958. Since Nehru is in the news all the time, the Mundra scandal has also been in in the news. Now, if you ask me, this is the best ever investigation that has been conducted into a scam in India. This happened under Jawaharlal Nehru. It was brought to the public domain by his son-in-law, Firoz Gandhi. I'm not going to go into all of that. I'm limited to the 
phenomenal job that was done by the legendary Justice M.C. Chagla in 1958. In exactly 24 days, this one-man commission appointed by the government had completed the investigation. This was an open hearing held with loudspeakers. Those were the days when there was no internet and definitely no WhatsApp and Twitter. So there were loudspeakers installed because there were large crowds outside the commission's room to be listening. And I learned during my research that even GRD Tata used to attend and listen. Now, who testified and what happened? First of all, in a nutshell, what was the Haridas Mundra scandal about? Because most people who are going to listen to this were not born at that time, nor was I. So Haridas Mundra scandal was the exact same modus operandi as every major Indian scamster. Ramp up the share price of some select stocks. He did a bunch. Ketan Parik did 10. There are another eight happening now. So ramp up those stocks and find a way to dump them at very high prices on public sector institutions. LIC had by then become public sector. So in this case, Life Insurance Corporation was the chosen vehicle. It's in the spotlight again because there are politicians questioning LIC's investment into the Adani group. right? So since those were more idealistic days, people were very agitated. Remember, this was just 11 years after India got its independence. People were bolder and those who testified, they knew what was going on. They did not hesitate to speak out. So despite the obvious clout and political connections of Mundra, you had fantastic testimonies from financial legends of that time, such as A.D. Shroff from the House of Tatas, K.R.P. Shroff, who was the president of the Bombay Stock Exchange, and H.T. Parekh, who founded HDFC. All of them indicated to Mr. Mundra that LIC had no business buying the shares that Mr. Mundra was propping up and that they would have rejected them. Edi Shroff even said that LIC should not even be in the business of propping the market. Of course, that was ignored, even though it was part of uh, Justice Chagla's recommendations. LIC has been used and misused for decades after that. Edi Shroff said the market was not interested in Mundra shares. And the claim that LIC had bought the shares to stabilize the market or avoid a drag in the Calcutta market. Remember, Calcutta was a huge trading center in those days. He called it a cock and bull story. Now, he also said Mundra had an infinite capacity for not telling the truth. And, you know, this was not a one-sided thing. Mr. Mundra was very suave and articulate. He himself said how... Mr. A.D. Shroff had bought shares of Tata's and each of them had come out and said how wrong they were and what went wrong in their dealings with Mr. Mundra, which made them decide that he was not someone they wanted to deal with. In fact, people may find it hard to believe that brokers were so bold and articulate at that time. The best testimony that I remember was Bhagwan Das Govardhan Das, leading broker. He was, and yes, Brokers were also on LIC's investment committee. So Bhagwandas Govardhandas, H.T. Parekh were on the LIC investment committee and had objected. He not only told Justice Chagla that the Mundra shares were worthless, but he said that the BSC had publicly warned investors that some of the Mundra shares were forged. And he said he would not even touch them with a pair of tongs. I mean, can you even imagine something as blunt as this happening today? Quality of testimony, as I say, reflects the confidence they had in the investigation itself 
and the fact that it will all be properly recorded without repercussions. But were it to happen today, can we expect the same thing? In fact, would any of you be surprised if instead of this kind of bold testimony, one after the other, string of witnesses called to depose before whatever the Supreme Court appoints comes there and says, Adani is, you know, India, helping India's infrastructure and in fact blame Hindenburg Research and George Soros for destabilizing the Indian market and the economy. Could well happen. We don't know. But I can't imagine such bold testimony happening today. Now, who learned the biggest lessons from Justice Chagla's inquiry? The political establishment. Unfortunately, all the wrong ones. And what lessons they learned have impacted all future scam investigations. For starters, this was the last time that there has been any public hearing on financial scandals. In fact, since 92, I've been saying that these hearings should be like U.S. Senate hearings. They cannot be you know, in camera, but not only are they secretive, but even those who testify before the joint parliamentary committees are not allowed to speak out or go public with what they have told the committee. You are made to sign it. It's pretty ridiculous. The only information that is given to the public domain is media leaks, which happen all the time because the MPs then leak information and it's published. And there is a briefing at the end of the day. So selectively, whatever is wanted is briefed by the chairman. This cannot go on. And I'm going to come to that a little later. So the next big scandal was the security scam of 1992. That was a time when India was facing a serious balance of payments crisis. We had just embarked on economic liberalization. And the World Bank was keeping a close watch on what we did because we wanted a big fat World Bank loan. So the government started well, did two things. One is it passed us the Special Court Trial of Offences Relating to Transactions and Securities Act of 1992, which was supposed to ensure the speedy hearing of scam-related cases. Idea was to finish it fast. More importantly, they set up the multidisciplinary Janki Raman Committee. The Janki Raman Committee comprised of regulators, tax department officials, and all the investigative agencies. The idea was if they work together, Janke Raman himself, being a deputy governor of the Reserve Bank of India, they will work together rather than at cross purposes, and it worked well. They came up with six or seven fantastic reports, which formed the basis of what finally the JPC said in its own report. But the faster hearings never happened. Instead, the special court continues to hear the scam cases after 30 years. And remember, all these will then go to the Supreme Court and appeal before any decision happens. So at the very least, we need the Supreme Court to realize that in a market where transactions worth a few hundred crores each happen within seconds, in fact, milliseconds and microseconds, and settlements happen within a day of trade, investigations and court cases that drag on for decades only end up letting off wrongdoers because things are buried, diluted, nothing works. In fact, most often key investigators are transferred, witnesses are dead, sometimes the scamsters themselves are dead long before the trial concludes. The Janki Raman committee, like I said, had excellent findings. And this could have been the basis of straightaway filing charge sheets by the Central Bureau of Investigation. But typical of India, once the JPC submitted its report, report the dilution of findings and delays began. In fact, the SBI charge sheet where it all started was also filed four or five years later. In fact, 
the JPC had signaled the way forward by relegating the most specific and key allegations to notes attached to the report. So naturally, the signal to everyone was ignore them. The drama is over and it's business as usual. So the next big scandal in exactly the same manner was the Ketan Parikh scam of 2001, which happened immediately after the dot-com bubble burst. And this was followed by the collapse of the giant unit trust of India. Now, as usual, political uh, parties thundered in parliament. They demanded a second JPC, which the government agreed to. Then UTI collapsed. They wanted another one in parallel, even while the second was still doing its job. I've written all of this over the years. So I'm not saying something new today. Finally, the JPC that was actually set up did not even include UTI. Now, many of you don't even know how giant UTI was. It ruled over the markets and the UTI chairman, in fact, was called the big bull those days because that's the kind UTI bought, the market went up, UTI sold, the market went down. It was used all the time to prop the market. And that whole institution where middle-class Indians had put their money in like a guaranteed FD, which got a little higher return than bank deposits, just collapsed. Now, since the opposition had never pressed for a Janki Raman type of committee, obviously, politicians sitting and investigating by calling people to give testimony doesn't really lead to an investigation. So they then ended up using the fact that they didn't have the benefit of a Janki Raman committee to actually pass on the investigation. So there was a whole report. They said, SEBI will now investigate the corporate houses because we didn't have the benefit of a Janki Raman kind of committee. What happened with SEBI? It just allowed most of them to walk away. Some investigations dragged. One of the largest corporate houses, which is flying high even today, was let off with a warning. Yes, as scandalous as that. Now, a separate committee was formed under Dr. S.S. Tarapur, another former deputy governor of the Reserve Bank of India, to investigate UTI. Even their findings were very, very detailed and could have straight away ended up as chart sheets, but this was never done. In fact, it's a big mystery today where that report has disappeared and why there was no action against the gen then chairman P.S. Subramanian. In fact, politicians, you must remember, will make thundering speeches in parliament. We are very happy today. We circulate it on social media, but when they get their JPC, they're often complicit in letting off the guilty. And they are happy sitting there being the judge and the jury on an issue that most of them don't even understand. Out of a JPC of 30-odd members, you'd be lucky if there are three or four who really understand financial issues or even legal issues. The JPC report is like out, the drama is over, and then even the media and everybody else forgets the tragedy of charge sheets is left to the CBI, and things get diluted drag on, nothing really happens. And 20 years later, if somebody is even sent to jail, does anyone care? Does anyone even remember? Now let's look at what was found in the JPC of Ketan Parikh. Indian corporate houses misused foreign institutional in investors and overseas corporate bodies to prop up domestic share prices. This was properly established. SEBI tightened disclosure norms, clearly didn't do enough because again, the Hindenburg report as well as Many media houses before that are pointing out that it's the same FIIs who are buying one particular group of company shares. 
And obviously, that means they're like a portfolio rather than being a foreign institutional investor. The question then is, will a Supreme Court appointed committee come up with different results this time? A committee, like any large bench of the Supreme Court, will have different opinions and perspectives, may not even arrive at a consensus. Also, unless it is assisted by a well-empowered multidisciplinary committee, it will have to rely on depositions by those who are selectively called to testify. As I've said earlier, I don't know if anyone in this political environment today and the propensity even among judges to look for post-retirement sinecures are going to offer the kind of frank and fearless testimony that we saw with the Haridas Mundra scandal and because, of course, of Justice Chagla's integrity. All this leads to only one conclusion, which is that the Supreme Court will actually do well to leave the job to the regulators and ensure that they are able to operate independently away from political pressure by making them accountable to the Supreme Court. More importantly, the Supreme Court may want its proceedings to be live streamed and transcribed so that you know, the public knows what is going on. Because if Supreme Court proceedings are now live transcribed, and available. Why not these committees, if you set up a committee? If not, call the regulator from time to time, have a hearing, and let us all hear what the regulator is finding. Don't allow a situation like the NSC co-location, where the Securities Appellate Tribunal, in fact, criticized the manner in which SEBI had conducted its investigations. This is what I think should be done. Let's see what happens in a few days. We will know. If you like what I said, if you agree, do subscribe and spread this video so that more people are aware of how committees uh, conduct their hearings. Thank you so much.